All right, well, buckle your seatbelts. Open your Bibles to Mark, book of Mark. Uh, we're going to be looking at the end of the Mark uh, chapter 4, uh, starting with verse 35 is where we left off last week. Um, there's some really rather unusual and incredible, actually, stories in the text that we're going to be looking at today. So Mark chapter 4, uh, going to spend some time in chapter 5. Uh, but just some remarkable stories, the kind of things, I guess, that you just kind of sit back and you are amazed, uh, you are astonished, or in the words of uh, the text or the language of the text that we're going to be looking at this morning, sometimes terrified uh, at what you observe. But these, uh, these stories that we're going to be looking at today really provide, a, I think, a diverse picture of who Jesus is and what he is actually capable of doing. Uh, so we're going to begin... Uh, at, with the end of chapter 4, and remember last week we looked at uh, the parables, we kind of came down to the end of that section, and uh, well, when he gets done teaching with the parables, he then chooses to cross the lake, and that's where we find him in verse number 35 chapter, of chapter 4. So take a look at that, chapter 5, I'm sorry, chapter 4, verse 35, and here's what we read. It says, that day Jesus, uh, or that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, Jesus did, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There was also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? I think they were saying that a little bit differently. I think they're going, teacher, you know, don't you care, right, that we drown. And he got up and he rebuked the wind and, and then said to the waves, quiet, be still. And then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. I've been in that boat a number of times, actually. Um, but one of those times that I, I, I want to share with you about is uh, when, when I led a group of high schoolers up to the Boundary Waters canoe area. Um, that trip that we took that year, uh, I just looked it up, it was in 2000 or 2001, the year 2000 or 2001. But anyway, I took some group, a group of them up there, six, uh, six or seven high schoolers. I was, I was the only leader that was with them, no other sponsors. And we took that trip down the Granite River Trail, which is um, uh, just off of uh, the Gunflint Trail. And uh, we took them down that, and that is a river, and it leads up and leads down to the to the Lake Saginaga, which is one of the larger lakes uh, in the Boundary Waters Canoe area. And much of that lake actually borders on Canada and Minnesota. That's the, the borders of that. But, but anyway, there are a number of stories I could tell you about that trip. An incredible trip. A lot of, a lot of uh, difficulties on that trip. A lot of fun things on that trip. But the one story that I just want to relate to you this morning took, took place on the last day of that trip. And, and, and it was when we were heading back to the Outfitters to actually conclude our trip. And so we got up that morning, 
and we packed our belongings and we ate breakfast and all of a sudden and, and after morning devotions, we, we really didn't have, let me just say that we didn't really have a lot of bad days, a lot of weather problems throughout our whole week that we were up there. But here, uh, here it was this morning and we gotten up and we're getting ready, we're packing up and, and, and that morning we just want to get back. We want to get our showers and we want to go home. It, it's just after you've been out there a week and you, uh, you smell bad and you, you look bad and you, you feel bad and, um, you know, you love the weather and everything else, but you just, it's just been a week. And, uh, but anyway, we began to load our canoes together and, 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 and gather our belongings and, and, and journey towards the outfitters. And now the distance between where we were at on Lake Saginaga and the outfitters was about seven miles. So by conservative standards, that would have put us back to the outfitters. We took off about 10 o'clock in the morning, finally, after we got everything going. And that would have put us back to the outfitters by about noon, which would have been a perfect time. But as luck would have it, the winds were just, the winds just came up and were just really nasty. And, and, and the direction that we needed to go was the same direction that the wind was coming from. And so, well, we were heading into the wind. It was, it was just a struggle. It was a struggle all the way, trying to keep our canoe straight. And, and, and I don't know how else to explain it to you other than it just, it, it just seemed that, that, that the longer that we paddled, that, that, that the stronger the winds became, and it was just like fighting against something over and over. And we'd, we, the, the winds would shift and everything else, and it would come at us from the side of the, of the canoe, and all of a sudden we'd have water coming over our canoes. And, and, and the only real relief that we got was actually from a, a, a number of, of islands that were kind of conveniently placed, you know, in, in, uh, that, that served uh, as a buffer from the waves. And so we'd kind of go across and we, there'd be an opening of, of space and some water and, and we'd go and, and the wind would just blow us all over and then we'd, we'd make it across and we'd get to the next string and it would be a buffer from all that wind. And uh, when we reached the end of all that long string of islands there was one last and it was a little larger uh you know open space of water that we had to cross before we moved into a channel in order to go on down into the uh to take that would take us to the outfitters but by that time by the time we got there to that last part the white caps were just huge the white caps on the lake were so high that i i just decided that that it was just way too dangerous for us to even attempt to cross. We had two guys on that trip. Um, interestingly enough, they didn't know each other. They came from different parts of, of the, of the uh, state of Wisconsin and Illinois. One from Wisconsin, one from Illinois. They were Billy and Willie. Billy was from Wisconsin. Willie was from... I, I, it's funny how you remember all these things. They had the same birthday and they were a year apart. I kid you not. And they were like two peas in a pod when they got together. And they were also two peas in a pod when it came to trouble. And they just decided, hey, we're going to go for it. And, you know, so I'm here and I'm looking at these. These are high schoolers. I'm thinking, what am I going to explain to their moms and stuff? But they, did, they, they ended up, after a lot of yelling and stuff like that, they didn't. What we decided to do, I mean, just think about the, what, what, what this is like. I mean, the winds are blowing and everything else, and the white caps are going over, and there's water already in our boats or in our canoes. We've got probably two inches of water in our canoes. We're tired. We're, we're beat. We're, uh, we're just, um, um, just, just exhausted. And so 
what we really did is that we just the only logical thing we could do because we couldn't get across this this area was to for us to at that point stop at the at one of the campsites there on the last island and and to wait out the waves uh, you know we were there for quite a while and that last campsite and i was beginning to wonder if we were actually going to make it um and i think that if somebody would have calmed that storm I, I would have been absolutely amazed. I, I look at this text. I mean, the disciples, they have this, uh, this sense of utter amazement. I mean, they're like, who is this guy, right? It's, it, it, that, that even the wind and the waves obey his voice. Now, some, some, some have said that what this means is that Jesus can calm the storms of your life. Now, I suspect that that's true, that Jesus can calm the storms of your life. Otherwise, we wouldn't have things like prayer time in, in, in our service. I, I just don't think that that's what this text is about. It, it seems to me that this text has a real simple message to it. It's the, it's the first miracle, by the way, it's the first miracle, the first nature miracle that Jesus performs. Uh, we've seen him do things that relate to people, but this is actually the, the one that relates to some part of uh, physical creation. And I think that what it teaches us is this, that Jesus is Lord over the natural order. He's Lord over the natural order. We discover in this text that, Jesus, that this Jesus, the one who we see every day in the gospel, is Lord over created order, he is Lord over the natural order of things. That's who He is. So He's Lord over the natural order. Well, when you, you get done with the storm, they make it to the shore, and they're in this uh, area um, called the Gerasenes. According to chapter 5 and verse 1, they've, they've, they've crossed uh, the, the, the lake and... Uh, uh, they went to the region of the Gerasenes, and in verse number 2 of chapter 5 says, When they, Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Oh, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. And then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this. In the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of, of demons sitting there, dressed, and in his right 
mind, and they were afraid. Those who had, been in, who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave the region. As, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. Storms, but I have never been in this situation. I, I mean, I've met some strange people, you know. I've just ne never met anyone like this. I mean, this guy... This guy here is in some serious trouble. <laughs> he is, I, I, I mean, he is the epitome of what it means for life to have totally come apart. He lives in a tomb. He runs around with no clothes on. He's just this crazed person. Nobody wants anything to do with him. He's a, he somehow attains some sort of supernatural strength to the place where, where they can't even bind him anymore. And, and so he lives out here all alone. He's frightening everybody, other, uh, other people, experiencing total isolation because he's been demon-possessed. And, and Jesus comes along, and there's this, this real interesting conversation. You know, what do you want, what do, you want to do with me? And, and don't cast us out into the nowhere. And, and, and so they make the request, can we just go into this herd of pigs? And, and Jesus says, well, if you want to go, go, right? And uh, Jesus... Uh, you know, 2,000 pigs, right? I mean, that way, by the way, really, as a non-farm person, that kind of strikes me um, as, a, as a pretty good bunch of pigs. But suddenly they're in the, they're in the sea and they're drowned. Uh, William Lane says that what happens when you s see these demon possessions in Scripture is that you discover what Satan would really like to do with what God has done in us. That God has created us in His image, that He has made us like Him, and what Satan would like to do is he would like to, to destroy that, that image of God in us. He would like to make our life as bad as He made the, the lives of those pigs or that man's life. But it, it's just an... It's an odd sort of story in some ways. It's, it, it, it's one more exorcism, by the way. It's, you know, we've seen exor exorcisms before in, 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 the, in the Gospel of Mark. But, but this one, it, it just kind of has an, an added twist to it, I think. Do you notice what the man wants to do? You see that? He wants to go with Jesus. It's really interesting language, I, I think, in, in, in light of... Uh, chapter 3, when Jesus chose the 12, and specifically he says in chapter 3, verse 14, he says that they might be with him. And yet Jesus is, won't let this guy. Jesus sends him back to his own people to tell them the story. I'm not sure why he does that, but that's what he does. Now some people have said that the point of this story is that what, you really, what you're really supposed to do is that you're always supposed to go back to the people that, who, that you know best and tell them your story. 
And I suspect that there is probably some truth to that. I just don't know that if that's the point of this story. In fact, it strikes me that the point of this story is that Jesus not only has the power over the natural order, but he also has power over the supernatural order. It's not only that, that he handles created kinds of things, right? He also handles life in the, in the spiritual realm. He is no less at home dealing with demons than he is with waves. He is Lord of both creation and that which is behind creation. He is Lord of both the natural order and the supernatural. Well, then he crosses the lake back to the other side. Uh, we pick that up in, in verse number 21. They take the boat back and, and large crowds uh, gather around him and, uh, um, and while, uh, while he was on the lake. And verse 22 says, Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there, seeing Jesus. He fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A, a large crowd followed and passed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. Uh, when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I can just touch his clothes... I will be healed. And immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. And then the woman, knowing that what had happened to her came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Now while Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, Don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow except him except Peter, James, and John, and the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and he said to her, Talithakum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Now, here, here's a strange story. In fact, it's a story inside of a story. It's, uh, I think, one of Mark's favorite ways of telling stories, you know, to start a story and then to interrupt that story with another story. 
And the story starts with that man, fellow, fellow by the name of Jairus. He's a, he's a synagogue ruler. He has got a daughter that's uh, uh, 12 years old, and she's dying, and she needs, uh, he needs Jesus' help. And so Jesus agrees that he's going to provide some help. And so on their way, as they're traveling to, to this guy's house, there's this large crowd that's jostling, jostling and just bumping up against him. And, but somewhere in that crowd, somewhere, somebody reaches up, you know, well, that somebody is a woman. And someone who uh, for 12 years has been experiencing this uncontrolled flow of blood, which would have made her totally unclean, uh, isolating her from, from her community, both, both socially and spiritually. Um, she can't go to the temple. She can't go to the synagogue. She can't uh, be around her friends. She has to actually be purified after her flow of blood, just like every other woman every month. And, and she can't because this has gone on for 12 years. Now Mark tells you that she's wasted all of her money on doctors. But they haven't done her any good except to take her money. Now Luke, by the way, who happens to be a doctor, doesn't tell you that part of the story. <laughs> Mark's the only one that adds that part. Uh, but, but, but somehow, some, you know, faith, maybe superstition, I don't know. She thinks, you know, if I just touch this guy. So she touches him, and lo and behold, she's healed. And Jesus says, who touched me? And the disciples, I mean, you can see him, can't you? You can, you can see that. They're like, what do you mean, Jesus, who, who touched you? Everybody's touching you. I just think it's kind of an odd thing, and yet it, it does call to mind the text uh, over a, a text over in God, the Gospel of John. Do you remember in John's Gospel in chapter five when Jesus says, "I can do nothing of myself; I only can do what the Father allows me to do." I just think that this is strong testimony that Jesus, in His humanity, was under God's direction, and God chose to heal this woman without without Jesus even being aware that it was going to happen until it had already happened. Now, I, I don't know about you. I mean, no, no offense to the woman. But I'm over here with Jairus going, come on, Jesus, we've got to get going here, right? I, you, ever, you ever read this story and you're just like feeling for that little girl? It's like, move that lady aside, let's get going. We're on a journey here. I've got a little sick girl at home, and, and, and I came to get you, and this is an interruption that I just don't need. Let's get out of here, right? And then some folks in the middle of this have about as much sensitivity as maybe someone you know. You know, they walk up and they say, you know, oh, by the way, your daughter died. I mean, tell the teacher not to bother. I mean, there's some really good bedside manner for you. But Jesus' response is, don't worry. You just believe in me. And they go on and they get there and there's this huge crowd, you know, Jewish funeral kind of thing, uh, professional wailers crying, throwing the dust in the air. There's this massive noise that's going on and Jesus says, what are you guys doing here? She's not dead. She's sleeping. 
and they laugh at him. Well, I think it's because they know what dead is. Except for the fact that Jesus is not troubled by death any more than he is with sleep. And so he walks in and he just says to the little girl, get up, and she gets up. And the crowd, the crowd is just, they're just absolutely amazed. I mean, wouldn't you be? Did Jesus raise somebody from the dead? I, I've had this experience before. I mean, I've been on the rough, those rough uh, seas or rough waters before. I've, I've never been with those demon-possessed guys that I know of. But I have been in the presence of those who have died and, and, and many, many, many times. And, and I'm just thinking to myself, you know, of, of all those times I brought, I, I know I've had to pick people up and bring them because the family wanted me to pick them up and, and, and wanted me to bring them, uh, a, a, a young person, wanted me to bring that person because they wanted me to kind of, they didn't want them to come home to a, to the, to a family member that, that had died and, and be there alone and, and needed somebody to be around. And, and I, I think that, that, situation specifically, you know, coming to that house, I mean, and, and you're standing around and, 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 and this loved one, I mean, I'm, I'm just thinking to myself, if somebody would have said, you know, you, you're bringing that, somebody into that situation, if somebody would have said to me, say, you know, and the crowd would have said, get up, and the person got up? <laughs> I, I think that we all would have been, uh, we'd all be a little bit amazed, possibly even a little frightened. But see, Jesus didn't have any trouble with that kind of stuff because, you see, it's not just that he was Lord over the natural order, and it's not just that he was Lord over the supernatural order, but Jesus was also Lord over death and life, sickness and health, sickness and death. Nothing seemed to be too powerful for him. Nothing. Well, I, I look at these stories, I, I, I look at what they tell us about his ability to be over natural order and supernatural order and life and death concerns, and, and you would think that, that they would, the individuals would somehow understand. Do you remember how this text started back in chapter 5, that they said, you know, do you not yet have faith? Remember that? Do you remember what he said to the father after they said your, 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 your daughter is dead? He said, just believe. Uh, go, to, go to chapter 6, as long as we're, you have your Bibles there. And, and let's just look at the first paragraph of chapter 6 here. Um, it says that Jesus left there. Chapter 6, Mark chapter 6. Jesus left there and went to his hometown accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these, thing, get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given him that he even does miracles? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, only in his hometown among his relatives and in his own house is a prophet without honor. He could not do any miracles there 
except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. Now that is a line of scripture for you. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. All he really wants is faith. That's, that's all he really desires is for you to have faith. All he's looking for is for you to believe. Father, you do some amazing things. Father, we just look at these stories of Jesus and find ourselves sometimes, I think, terrified, sometimes astonished, sometimes amazed. And yet, like those early people who were listening to you, I, I just think that we sometimes have trouble doing the simplest thing, and that is just simply believing in your son, Jesus. And Father, that's all you really want. It's all, all you really want is for us to believe. And so, Father, I just pray that you would help us with our unbelief. And I would pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I think it's really a simple truth that all he wants is for you to believe. Jesus came and he demonstrated his power over nature. He demonstrated his power over the supernatural. He, he demonstrated his power over life and death issues. And, and all he asks in return is for you and I to believe that we would accept him for who he is, that we would trust him as the Son of God. And I just, I look, I think about that and I just find myself asking, well, what does that mean? What are, this, what are the implications of that? And quite honestly, I just keep coming back to it. It's just really, 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 really simple. You know, if you grew up around Jesus, if you've been in the church like I have since you were a little kid, you've had the experiencing, experience of discovering along the way some, some things that God wants, has wanted you to do. Something he just wanted you to do. And, and you then were faced with that decision of... Of, of whether or not you're going to do that, whatever that was. You know, am I going to believe or am I not going to believe? And the truth is, sometimes you know, all of us will, will, will still wrestle with that. I think that part of being a disciple of Jesus is that as we learn more about him, as we learn more about what he wants of us, we continue to face or to be faced with that question, will I do what he wants me to do? Will I believe him or won't I? I mean, but that's all he really wants us to do. You know, if you didn't grow up around Jesus, maybe you're in the midst of discovering some of the things that, look, that, that he's looking for in your life. And the question I think that he asks of you is the same. Are you going to do what he says to do? Are you going to believe? 
I mean, the point is really this, that whether you're old in the faith or new in the faith, and whether you come face to faith with, when, when you come face to face with Jesus and learn what he wants from you, we're always, we're always going to be faced with that decision of, of whether or not we're going to do what he asks us to do or whether or not we're going to believe or whether or not we're going to listen to what he says. But, but the simple truth is this. All he really wants is for you to believe. Just to listen to him and to follow him. And every Sunday, I think, you know, one of the things that God does through his word is he invites us to think about the things that Jesus is trying to teach us and, and just to, to give us that chance to be able to say, Lord, I believe. And that's what we want to be about as a church, New Life Christian Church. We're here to help people to, to, to come to that point. And, you know, if, we, if, we have, if there are people that don't know how to, what to do, then we want them to come so that we can, we can help them. But it continues to be that. Every day we're faced with that decision. Will we believe? Will we do what he asks us to do? And that's where we need to be. We need to be people who are going to say, yes, Lord, I want to follow you. Let's stand together and we will <coughs> sing our, our song.